Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. Today, I'm talking to Jane Clapp, who is an inspirational teacher at St. Francis Primary School in Essex. I met Jane recently at her school when I was visiting to work with a trainee teacher. And golly, was I impressed. So much so that I thought I've got to invite her on the podcast to share her thinking about teaching and learning. So we're going to chat about how she develops learning with her class. And her words are sure to be packed with interesting ideas. Jane, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Just surviving the usual hustle and bustle of summer too. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm just in awe. I'm quite busy at the moment, but nothing like what teachers are. And, and having a deal with the children every day and be inspiring and motivating. Oh, and that's what makes that's that's the best part of the job. I think that's the only part that you don't get tired of. <laughs> hey, well, that's probably very true, isn't it? That's a real difference between me and you. I bang on quite a lot on this podcast about my age. But um, <laughs> when I see teachers now, I think, I don't think I could work as hard as they do. The pace that teachers work at is bonkers, isn't it? It is. It's crazy. And yeah, summer, I think this is the first year for a couple of years. We've had a proper year. We've been in all of year. Course. All the um, events have been back on. So I think we've just lost that stamina. So I'm absolutely exhausted and I am crawling to the finish line. Hey, well done. But you'll keep crawling, won't you? Yes, absolutely. Because summer... It's it's the best it's the best time like it's the best term because you know you you know your class and it's just fun and there's lots going on so it is lovely. Yeah, have you got anything exciting happening in school at the moment? Um, well, we've got our production coming up, so we are planning and learning all the songs for that. What's uh, that? We we are doing um, Edith's wartime something. Um, right. yeah but the children love it it's all a, about kind of war so we've got that coming up we've got we've had um lots of kind of lovely we had like a joy of movement festival today wow. with a local football team and it's you know sports day and we've got an art gallery going on next week and it's kind of all the nice culminations of lots of stuff that Absolutely. happens in the summer yeah when you apply all that learning into into real events yeah, really and it becomes good, isn't it? kind of celebratory, which is lovely. Yeah. So I've built you up as a great teacher because that's what you are. And uh, so I haven't built you up really, have I? I've just been honest. <laughs> so so what's, what's the key things, do you think? What do great teachers do? What's what's right at the heart of it? I think for me, the the best thing or what children need from their teacher is a belief so mm. they need to know that you believe that they can do whatever you're asking them to do and I think that is kind of fundamental to what I'm like as a teacher so I I do genuinely believe that all our children can learn and I kind of see it as my job to get them there so however that is you know however you make it accessible um that's my biggest thing and then on top of that you've got you know, you need to make sure that you're um, providing like a safe environment for them, because I think we forget often in schools um, 
you know, every day we're asking children to do quite scary things you know we're we're asking them constantly to step out of their comfort zones and you know we're asking them to switch lessons every kind of 45 minutes we're asking to do presentations they're talking to people that perhaps aren't their best friends about things and that we're always asking them to take risks and to yet push themselves out of their comfort zones and I think creating that lovely safe environment for them to do that and to um excel is is so important as a teacher yeah we'll talk about how you do that in a moment but i was i was watching a trainee today and she said oh they're being so difficult this is when we were chatting afterwards and i said i thought you were amazing i've seen so much progress because she's lovely this trainee but quite gently spoken and and she was really being assertive with this class who were being a bit of a pain if I'm honest (laughs) with you you know but she was absolutely clear this is what I expect she demanded it and she got it and I said I'm so impressed and she said well really and I said because the point is if you're ambivalent if you show that I want this but I don't really demand it and therefore I let some things go when I shouldn't let them go then that ambivalence, that makes children feel unsafe, doesn't it? Definitely. I'm I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to do that. Am I allowed to do this? Can I do? Because normally I'm not allowed. And now today the teacher said I can't do it. But then if I do it, she doesn't pick me up on it. So can I do it really? And that uncertainty is really unsettling, isn't it? It is. And I, I am, I'm in year five at the moment and we, um, like our class are lovely, you know, they're very bubbly, they're boisterous, but they're brilliant. They're, they're full of personality. Um, but they do sometimes struggle with the inconsistency of different adults. Mm. And when I spoke to them about it, um, one of the things that they picked up on was they like, um, knowing what's expected. So they said, we, we know what you want from us. We know what will happen if we kind of don't meet that expectation so I think children like flourish in those really safe but consistent environments don't they they need that they love that yeah they love it as I said this trainee today she said well I don't want to upset them I said you won't upset them because children like strictness but not strictness as in unfairness unkindness being unpleasant they like strictness as in I know exactly what's allowed and what isn't yeah and that's really safe isn't it that's such totally. a safe place to be because we're the same we like to know the boundaries yeah and and it's and it's a good thing to do isn't it because then it's like driving isn't it i'm in a 30 mile an hour area and my my car computer says in 200 yards there is a speed camera <laughs> and you think i'll check my speedo i think i'm all right but i'll check anyway because <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble for breaking the speed limit. So, and you think, yep, I'm all right. I'm doing 29. So that's okay. <laughs> Even though the car behind me wants me to go faster, I'm at 29. <laughs> so that's fine. And that's exactly what we need the classroom to be like, don't we? Absolutely yeah. transparent rules. Yeah. Everyone and I think, knows. Yeah. And, and knowing that, you know, I think early on when in your career, you do want to be liked because to have a relationship with your class is so important Mm. but they do like you but you know you need the safety of those routines and those boundaries and I think it's not about being unkind to children you know 
I adore my class and, you know, we, we adore the children that we teach, but it's mm. just them knowing exactly what your expectations are and setting high expectations for them and letting them know when they don't reach that. Yeah. So how do you do that high expectation thing? Because it's a, it's, it's a buzzword, isn't it? In education, high expectations. So, so how do you do that in your class? I think one of the main things is routine. So there's like um, a really good set of books called walkthroughs that kind of talk you through lots of different routines. And they're brilliant because they're very simple. Um, but before they even came out, I think as you know, a, a teacher, that's what you do. So I think I always say to kind of students that I have, you have to pick what's important to you. So for me, I don't like children, you know, wandering aimlessly around my classroom. No. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't like that. So you have to kind of pick what is important to you um, and just set up routines that, you know, the children can understand. And it is a lot about, um, telling them that routine rehearsing it and keep going until it meets the expectation that you want it to meet and never lowering that bar you know because as soon as you do children are so brilliant aren't they at going oh no she didn't pick us up on that so I'm not going to do that next time absolutely <laughs> I really like that you know rehearsing because yeah, and I you, say to I lots think... of trainees September when you get your first class, spend September getting your routines right, yeah. setting your expectations so that everybody knows. And I said, you'll pull your hair out quite likely yeah. for the first few weeks because you think, I'm just saying the same things. But but if you keep insisting, and I love that phrase, don't lower the bar, that's where we're aiming, folks, and we're going we're gonna to be there. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a discussion. It's not negotiation, this. That's where it's going to be. And we're going to practice it until you do it. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, that not only is that good for, you know, my sanity, um, but also for, (laughs) for you know, your learning environment, your very first thing is you don't want to be wasting time on telling children to do things that, you know, they should just should just be natural to them you know Mm. you don't want to be spending your time nagging children and I often think if I'm saying the same thing over again like if I say the same thing say two or three times or to the same child my first thought is right what can I do to to stop this because it's just wasting time and no one wants to hear negativity anywhere but not in your classroom so I think choosing those routines really carefully and practicing them and I think people underestimate that how long that rehearsal stage takes like they Mm. need a lot of time to embed routines yeah because we want them to be fluent don't we and we talk about fluency and knowledge and it takes years sometimes to get flu I was in a school just recently and and this week in Brentwood and they were and they were the teachers were talking about full stops and I thought, how many times you've been taught full stop? So we're now in a year three class. So I realised that, uh, you know, COVID has impacted on how much they've been taught it properly and, and with the teacher close at hand. But yeah. but I saw it before the pandemic as well. And, yeah. uh, and you think, so you've been taught it every day, probably since mid-reception. So we're looking at about 500, 600 days worth of teaching. 
where you've been taught about full stops and you're still not doing it. Yeah. And but uh, don't you don't you think, Jeremy, though, sometimes that when we think about teaching children about full stops, we often do it in uh, reception in year one, maybe year two, and we we talk a lot about it. And then it almost uh, like a switch gets flipped to the point where we think, oh, they should be able to use full mm. stops. But actually, when you look at the sentences that they are using, they're way more complex. Mm. And so a sentence where you're teaching them explicitly about where a full stop goes and what, you know, what the purpose of it is in reception year one, year two, the whole structure of a sentence changes in three, four, five and six. So actually, I think sometimes we can say, oh, come on, you should know how to use full stops. But it's a very different um, kettle of fish, isn't it? Because sentences look different. So again, it's yeah, just they thinking. Do. And we need to teach them. So when we're teaching them yeah. about commas, Definitely. we repeat the teaching about full stops. Yeah. Because we and, say, and don't we, the, this sentence, yeah. you know, you, you, you think of compound sentences mm. and you think, well, that makes sense on its own. Yeah. And that makes sense on its own. So are they both sentences? No, because I want to join them. Definitely. Oh, and then you think of subordinate clauses and you think, so oh, gosh. if I take that out, does it make sense? So is that a sentence? So what so you could exactly what you say. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone describe it like that. Uh I just and sometimes Very again. Perceptive. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm quite contextual, as you know, and it's all purpose. And I think if we're having the same problems with full stops, for example, you have to unpick it and you have mm. to and actually it makes a lot of sense because you know, a, a sentence looks really different. And so us saying to children, oh, come on, put your full stops in, and some have no idea. So again, like you say, when you're teaching these more complex structures, reteach the full stop because it's a different context. And we do it a lot in other subjects. You know, we have that spiral curriculum where we mm. revisit things in different contexts and we kind of deepen learning. But I do sometimes think we forget it with quite, you know, I say simple learning, but it's not simple because you're trying yeah. to use it in a different context and then that's by hard. simple by simple you mean it's been taught many times before yeah but i think like it's you say like... we're spiraling yeah it's getting harder and just Definitely. because we've what we've grasped the simple sentence with the full stop once we start increasing the complexity of the sentence then we have to teach full stops again don't we yeah Definitely. And, you know, and again, sometimes we miss that and we think, oh, you know, they should be able to use those. But then, you know, they can get to year five and six and almost have completely lost where where they should put them. And then you get the dreaded comma splice. <laughs> the apostrophe fever. I used to love all those phrases. Yes. To... You know, when you know, when a teacher's done the apostrophe lesson, because that's no S is alone. Never. <laughs> Never. And we, we used to we used to just have an alarm. I used to go ah, in class and the children would shout out, check your apostrophes. <laughs> the alarm's gone off. <laughs> I do that with there, there and there at the moment. Yeah. Our class are driving me nuts with that. That's a tricky one, though, isn't it? It is really. I mean, they're all, it's all tricky, isn't it? If, if when you think we're putting children to the edge of their knowledge, we're saying expand your vocabulary. We're saying write more complex sentences. We're changing. We're saying change the order of the sentences. We're saying where's the continuity in this paragraph here? Why have you put this sentence here when clearly it should be somewhere else? I don't know how anyone ever learns to write. 
Oh, it's because so hard. You've got to think it? of so many things all at the same time, haven't you? Yeah. But, but I guess it comes back to what you've just said about making sure that we explicitly teach the key things that have become harder, even if we've done them before. Definitely. And and again, you just, you know, we do have a habit in education to overcomplicate things. Oh, not half, um, <laughs> including lesson plans, if I might be I so bold. I know. And so, again, it's, you know, with writing, we can almost try and run before we can walk. And actually, you know, just sentences are the building blocks of writing. So if children can't write a good sentence, then mm. don't push them to write pages and pages of non-chronological reports about something really random. You know, work on those um, lower level skills because that that is going to be way more useful to them in their writing careers um, and lives than you know, just writing pages and pages of, you know, well, questionable quality. Yeah, 100%. And like <laughs> you said, a variable context. Why are we yeah. writing this? You know, I the, know. The, the importance of purpose for writing, it can't be emphasised enough, can it? I no, saw, I was, I was in a school this week and working with the leadership team on um, identifying great learning. And, and how do we know when great learning's happening? And uh, and we were in a class and, and we'd been talking about the importance of speaking and listening and discussion and preparation for writing and all that sort of thing. And we went into a class and the teacher said, right, we're going to talk about newspaper headlines uh, because we're going to be writing some newspaper reports soon. And she said, right, the first thing I want you to do, think about titles, think about the purpose of titles. And then she said, so now think about our school. So they had a thousand things immediately to think of. <laughs> so they didn't have to struggle to think, what shall I say? I don't know what to say. I, I don't know anything about this topic. So how can I possibly come up with things? They had a thousand things to say. And then she said, so just think about the things you really, really like about our school and see if you can put some into an alliterative phrase or into a rhyming phrase or into a with a bit of humour, perhaps. She let, gave them five minutes oh, on the quality of the work that came out from that because she'd set it up so well. They yeah. all had plenty to say. They all understood alliteration, rhyming, humour, and therefore they could play with it. Yeah. And she and gave I them think, enough time to play with it. Yeah. And I think the, the selection of the the topic or the theme of your writing is so important you know mm. right when you write non-chronological reports for example one do it for a reason don't just do it because it's next on your um you know text type plan but that would be that would be an alarm going off for me oh we've got <laughs> we got to do it it's in Quick. the plan <laughs> um but you know a lot of people will say oh you know i'm going to get these children to research and then it's something completely random mm. so you end up with kind of spending a lot of brain power on having to build that knowledge base on the thing that they're going to write about so the focus comes away from writing and comes on to kind of that knowledge building and then you end up you know that they just copy what they've found because That's of it. course you would wouldn't you you just so you just end up and it's funny a few years ago I went to a moderation um a writing moderation and everyone was saying how oh the quality of our non-chronological reports are brilliant when every time we do the one it's amazing and I thought yeah because they just copy what they exactly. research off the internet so yeah it's brilliant You've so I tend to do professor that on... so and so has written it for them I know no wonder so it's we good. tend to 
you know, if you do them, just do it on something that they know. Do it on your previous, you know, topic that they've really built their knowledge on. Or um, recently, um, my brilliant student, um, Zoe, give her a the shout lovely out. Lovely Zoe. Yes. Um, Zoe, she, we love you. You're doing a great job. Do. She's doing amazing. Um, and she's been doing a unit of work on explanation text in English. And again, it's just thinking, you know, where is that? appropriate when would you use that so we've been talking a lot about you know you use it in science you use that in geography you use it in history and just trying to make real life context and so in preparation for that last half term we I made sure that we had um you know ladybirds so I got some ladybird eggs and we watched them hatch from egg to ladybird um and so that so we could use that in her explanation text planning so they they had their knowledge and the writing was brilliant because they lived it It was a lived experience for them they understood it they had a really good um knowledge because they'd they'd done it you know they'd actually seen it rather Mm. than randomly picking something out of the hat and saying oh let's do it on this um and it you know it was it was relevant because you do write explanation texts in science absolutely i remember once we took children we used to take children up to hadrian's wall we used to go up for a week and do a load of trekking over over the fells around Hadrian's Wall and went to Vindolanda, the old Roman town, and, and did all that sort of thing and uh, stayed right on Hadrian's Wall in a place called Once Brood where they had a youth hostel. And, oh, it was just spectacular. Yeah. But, but when we came back, whilst we were there, we'd been a centurion in a mile castle, of course, we'd stood there and said, what's this like standing here all day? <laughs> and it's freezing cold and the wind's blowing and nothing's happening because Celts didn't attack all the time, much as you <laughs> think it would be fun if they did, but they didn't. So I'm just standing here. What do you think I'm doing? I've got nothing to do really, have I? I'm missing Italy. I wish I was back <laughs> home, la-di-da, and then we'd go to the, the Roman town, you know. And then when we came back to school, we'd write... A day in the life of a Roman soldier. And I remember a lad, and I said to him, this is the best writing you've ever done, I think, isn't it? And he said, yeah, I think it is, actually. And I said, so what is it? What's been the difference? I said, you've improved all year, but this is miles better than anything you've done. Just what you said. He said, because we've just been to the place where they lived. (laughs) We've just been a Roman soldier, and we've just seen the town that they visited and he said, all the time I was thinking, I'm a Roman soldier here. What's, <laughs> what's happening? I'm going to the shop now or I'm going to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> and then when he wrote, of course, we added some research, but because he'd lived it, yeah. it's like you said, he'd built his knowledge base and then the book research was just adding to a knowledge base that was actually real. It was in his head because he'd done it. And the writing he got, and he wrote so much more. I said, that's more than you've ever written as well. And he said, I know, he said, it's just so exciting being a Roman soldier. Yeah, wow. and it's, it's that purpose, isn't it? And that excitement yeah. about writing. And I think sometimes we can suck the joy out of writing because mm. we make it so kind of laborious and so tough. But children love writing. They do. And it's so prescriptive, it seems, a lot of the time. You know, when you go into a class and there's 14 success criteria. Yeah. And you think, that's not success criteria. That's not success for writing. That's a tick box. Yeah. Have I used her? Have I used her? Have I used her? Have you put a colon in? 
why i don't want to i i had a yeah. lad once he wrote he wrote a bit like michael morpurgo so so he, he used to use very short sentences well he'd never get above age related expectations greater depth because because he had a style of writing that was superb it was engaging it was gripping you wanted to read the next sentence you know you we've all had pupils like that haven't we yeah but he didn't write, this was back in the 90s, of course, but he didn't write like they have to write now. Yeah. And do you know what that made, that used to make me really sad when I was in year two, because we all know those writers that are talented writers, mm. you know, and they are the ones that make you laugh and smile. And, Absolutely. You, know, you have that emotional response to their writing, yeah. don't you? But I can honestly say that, I don't think any of the children in year two who are six and seven, so it's ridiculous to think that they're great to depth anyway. Um, <laughs> exactly. But... <laughs> Hurrah. Common sense. Thank goodness. This is why I wanted to talk to you, not for your inspiration, for your common sense about the nonsense in education. Um... That's but what I can we honestly talk about next, I reckon. Oh, the yeah. Nonsense in education. Oh, gosh. We could... That will go on too long. Um, <laughs> we can... but, I'll have know... to invite you back for another one. They'll have to be parts two or three. Um, so in year two, you know, none. Of, I, I would honestly say none of my most talented writers in the sense of the creativity and the natural flair ever got greater depth because no. they didn't tick off. They didn't have perfect spelling. They didn't have, you know, perfect handwriting. They didn't have perfect sentence writing. Um, and I think that's so short-sighted and just... Well, it is, know, isn't it? But but yeah. But it's... It's a mechanical analysis of writing. It is. And, and I you think look at the when... great authors, they all write in utterly different styles. There isn't one style. Definitely. And they don't follow rules, you know. No. And actually, when you think, of course, there's grammatical rules and, and you know, they're there to be followed on the whole. But on a the lot whole, of... exactly. <laughs> Tell Roald of... Dahl that. Yes. Because a lot of punctuation is there just to get your punctuation. meaning. Punctuation. Across... To a reader so you know if you want to put a comma in and it gives your meaning across to a reader then it's fine but obviously it's all going a bit crazy and success criteria I think you know is very much that just ticking it off but the the, mm. the nothing to do with that, success at all really is it no well I think it 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 doesn't make children understand why you would use one because they no. just throw it in because they've been told to and they, they get shouldn't rewarded. call it success criteria they should call it secretarial criteria because <laughs> that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And again, I think the purpose of that just gets lost because people do it because they genuinely think that helps their children learn how to use these things. But I do think that it just stops children understanding when it's appropriate to use mm. that. And then you become, you get, you, you know, you're creating writers that aren't naturally you know, they're not natural writers that can write whatever they want for any purpose because they're so used to having very tight um, guidelines when actually you mm. want them to be able to go off and write because that's the whole purpose of us teaching them. Yeah, there's a place, isn't there? There's a place for saying, I'm going to teach you how to use a colon. Yeah. But not then to say, so now in this next bit of writing, you have to write some sentences which have colons in them. Yeah. Have you used three? Exactly, because then that just takes my mind is now completely off the content, completely. All I've got in my head is got to put a colon in, got to yeah. put a colon in. And then you get you get dumbed down writing, don't you? Writing without a soul, writing with yeah. no no heart in it. 
because actually I've just got to put a colon in somewhere. That's the yeah. only, that's all I've got to do to please the teacher. Yeah. And, and, and I think oh, that's how it. depressing is that? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, you know, and children then genuinely think that that's what good writing is because they, they do get that reward for ticking off those yeah. criteria. Lovely. Well, this has become a little writing workshop, hasn't it now? How interesting. That's what I like about the podcast. It goes somewhere yeah. and, you, and you don't really know where. But, of course, <laughs> within everything you say, there are some real key points, aren't they, about what great teachers do, having a purpose for doing something, making sure that children can relate to the work they're doing, that it's not an add-on, it's not tacked on top, it's not layered on top of them. They're an integral part of it. Yeah. And, and all of that is so important, isn't it? So what? tell me something else that makes great learning. There's so much stuff, isn't there? But I do, I genuinely do think that, you know, we've spoken about it earlier, that things do get overcomplicated a lot in mm. teaching. And I think that if you can keep things as simple as possible, you will be able to help most children in your class access the learning. And I think mm. a lot of the barriers to learning um, or gaps widening when we, I think, and people are, I think people genu genuinely think what they're doing is helping narrow gaps. But I do sometimes think we overcomplicate things. We throw too much at stuff. Um, and what happens is most children can cope with that but we don't want most children to cope with that. We no. want all children to cope with that. So I think, you know, luckily gone are the days where people are looking for whizzy lessons of, um, you know, flares going off in the corner and children <laughs> kind of cheering and dancing and singing and doing all sorts. Now but there's a place for cheering, dancing and singing, there absolutely but not is. in every lesson. No, and, and again, it comes back to purpose, doesn't it? If your purpose mm. is fun or there's a real reason why you're doing that, of course do it. But I also think that, um, you know, simplicity is so important and it, and it's often missed because people are so worried about keeping things simple. Mm. which is odd isn't it because i see with the trainee teachers that obviously as a trainee teacher you have a hundred things running through your head all the yeah, time don't definitely. you because there's just so much that you haven't developed sufficient knowledge and understanding of that there's no way you can be fluent at it so yeah. you clunk your way through lessons desperately trying to recall the things that are really important and one of the things they do do exactly what you've said they overcomplicate the learning yeah instead of saying this is the key thing by the end of the lesson everyone's going to be able to demonstrate they can do this one thing yeah. and, and i think and there'll be other things you can do as well and we'll be building other bits on top of that but the key bit you'll all be able to do yeah and i think i was going to say that's the key thing so whenever i talk to anyone about learning i say go to the national curriculum you know go and look what it actually is that you're teaching because sometimes the further you come away from the national curriculum it's morphed into something really different and you know there's lots of schemes around and resources that are, are really good but they kind of overcomplicate things mm, and i they think do. It, can, it can make people you know, people, especially new teachers, feel like, oh, my goodness, I've got to teach all this stuff. Um, and and then what happens is, again, most children can cope with that and most children get there. But it's those 
all children that you want to focus on. Yeah, and they, you, they try to make make something, don't they? We're gonna we're gonna include everything. These a lot of these schemes I see, you think, why have you put all those things in? Yes. What's, what's the core bit of learning you want yeah. here? Well, it's like um, it's like space, isn't it? In in year mm. five science, so you could basically teach everything you need to in the national curriculum in a in a lesson you could in a conversation because yeah. it's it's very much like right uh the moon the sun the planets are roughly spherical um the moon rotates around the earth um I, you know it's it's quite basic well, stuff. exactly right i i used to say that all the time to my staff yeah i said, I said if we teach what's in the national curriculum a lot of it because because interestingly the year five space national curriculum it says describe describe yes. describe describe i think there's about five statements yeah, in there space, is. And, the, yeah. and i think four of them say describe if not five of them yeah. one of them might say know about yeah but um but you think well if all i've got to do is describe them then like you say that's one lesson worth yeah, and I think, again, before I was in year five, if you'd asked me to place bets on something that was in the national curriculum for year five, I would have said phases of the moon because yeah. everybody teaches <laughs> phases of the moon. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't teach phases of the moon at all um, because, actually, that's quite interesting and it's quite nice for children to understand what they're seeing in the sky. So I'm not saying at all that you shouldn't, but I think there's so much emphasis on getting children to understand that quite difficult concept that well you know, immensely I, difficult concept yeah yeah i was trying to be yeah like, you were like, being very generous okay <laughs> it looks simple doesn't it when you've got 28 pictures of the moon i know and i know as an adult i think space is so abstract it, it's mm. just it's i find it really mind-blowing and i find it really it is hard though isn't it and actually yeah. that's almost enough i'm yeah. just gonna i'm just gonna blow your mind here because the Definitely. earth the earth is sitting in air yes and around the air it's sitting in nothing <laughs> there's nothing there and yet it's not falling through space it's whizzing through space at hundreds yeah. of thousands of miles an hour and it looks like we're not moving at all right my brain's already exploded so i, I think that's i think that's enough let's just blow their brains and forget the rest of it if I ever yeah. see another picture of the solar system squashed onto an A4 bit of paper <laughs> with, or, um, with, you with know, no posters. scales, all the scales are wrong, <laughs> you think, I understand why we're doing that, but children think it's it, you can fit it on an A4 bit of paper. So actually, you know, Saturn yeah. must be really close to us because on this yeah. bit of paper, it's only three centimetres away. It's crazy, isn't it? And when you show them those videos that show the true scale, you know, mm. it, it blows my mind. You know, mm. I can't I can't even imagine it. But again, I think when people then go and focus on things like phases of the moon and put so much energy in trying to get them to understand, well, not even understand it, because I don't think that they probably do, but just to Eat know about Oreos. It. Yeah. I mean, endless <laughs> Oreos. So we've got a tooth decay <laughs> problem because we're teaching phases <laughs> of the moon. <laughs> Um, but again, I think it's just knowing what's in the curriculum, knowing what the, the basics is. And of course, having high expectations. But again, you know, just being a little bit more what's it most important for our children to come out of our space learning, knowing um, 
And of course, if you want to do your phases, then that's brilliant. But there's such a focus on it sometimes that I honestly mm. would have thought that was in the curriculum. Yeah. And then people get worried children don't understand it. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's in any part of the curriculum. It might be in Key no, Stage not, 3 somewhere, no. but I wouldn't be yeah. surprised oh, if it's not. Yeah, I don't know not. about further wrong. But... It's certainly not in the primary phase. No, which I absolutely would have put a bet on and then lost it before I went into Year 5 thinking that would have been on it because I see it all the time. Jane, we're running out of time. This happens all the time. I'm definitely going to ask you back because we've hardly scratched the surface <laughs> of the things I thought we might talk about because it's been so interesting listening to your thoughts on on the range of things we have talked about. So if there was one thing, because this is for new teachers, this podcast, mm -hmm. if there was one thing that you said, new teachers, you have to do this, what would it be? I think it would, first of all, just enjoy your class. You know, like don't, don't get really kind of het up on, I think sometimes you can feel overwhelmed by all the things you need to do. Um, and ultimately it is, an amazing job you know it's an amazing career mm. and the best part of it by you know for no question is the children in your class so 100%. enjoy it um don't of course there's times where you feel overwhelmed by everything else but just you know just enjoy your class um and I would just you know really keep it simple um and just get those routines in place straight away um and keep going with them you know I would say right up until October half term you might still be just embedding all your routines yeah. so don't you know don't give up too soon and think oh my goodness I can't you know they're not listening after yeah it's week. not working yeah remember if we want fluency it takes a lot of rehearsal Definitely. a lot of practice yeah. and routines are just that yeah and I think you know don't panic because even like I still am embedding routines in October and beyond. Like autumn, is, that's mm. a lot of what it is, isn't it? And I think mm. don't don't bombard them too much with all the routines. Choose your, you know, prioritize them, but just practice because that is your like foundations for your brilliant Absolutely. learning environment. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. That's been fantastic, Jane. You're so interesting to talk to. <laughs> Every time I visited your school, I really looked forward to it, not only to see how much progress Zoe was making and Yay. to talk to her, but to talk to you too. Because I always came away thinking, whoa, what a teacher this woman is. So, oh, thank you. Uh, so thank you so much for that. So I, I say this every time. What now, listeners? What's the one small thing that you'll do tomorrow that will make a difference to your teaching? Unfortunately, stroke fortunately, Jane's given us a hundred. But just the one, one small thing that will make a difference. Um, I was I was reminded of a quote, Jane Goodall, the great primate scientist, said once, and I don't know if this was about primates or about us, actually, but it <laughs> applies to both. Every individual matters. Every individual has a role to play every individual makes a difference and that's what you've said haven't you about your class they're all individuals and and we've just got to do the best for them and make sure that we're treating them as individuals because uh, barack obama there was another one that came to mind i used to love barack obama he got a bit of stick as a president i don't know if he was any good as a president but as a human being he was awesome he, was, and he said when we succeed we succeed because of our individual initiative, 
but also because we do things together. And that's it, isn't it? We're a team. I used to say to my class, come on, team, we've really got to make some effort here. Yeah. But, but we'd still treat them as individuals too. Yeah, Jane, thanks ever so much. That's been great. I'm definitely having you back on. I'll let you rest over the summer, but then uh, you must <laughs> oh, come on you. again if you'd like to. Um, so if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. I'll keep you updated, of course, on the podcast to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another chat about education and God, it's sure to be fascinating as long as I ask people like Jane to come on. But until then, I'm Jeremy Crook and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.